Let's bow our heads, let's pray, and let's go before the Lord. Jesus, we honor you this morning. And we just tell you, we love you. You're faithful. Just declare to, to every heart listening today, would you allow for the Spirit of God to open your heart to just receive the Word of God today. Lord, we pray that your Word would become truth in a way that is practical in our lives and applicational. That we would read your Word and it would come alive to us today. That the weight of it would weigh into our hearts and be sown into our spirit, man. That it would bear fruit this week. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says amen. 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 We're on this series that Pastor David started. He did a phenomenal job last week. I love, I love watching Pastor David preach. I was home with the sick kids and my wife had to come to church. And so, but I was watching online. I'm shouting him down. And I was, y'all, y'all had church last week. I was in my living room jumping with y'all, FYI. I'm not a couch worshiper. I get it. I'm an active worshiper, amen. My kids are like, why are you jumping? Because God's good. And we were just dancing at home and we were having a great time. But I tell you, he did a phenomenal job. We're on this series called Songs of the Season. And in the book of Luke, you might not know this, but you're going to find out this series. There are four songs and prophetic utterances and prophetic songs that are connected to the birth of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible gives us these four songs, and I believe that everything the Bible does is with intentionality, amen? And each of these songs speaks to a different facet and perspective concerning the redemptive plan of God that is in Jesus. Because Christmas is not just the unwrapping of gifts, it's the unfolding of the plan of God for redemption for all of humanity. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. The greatest gift that God has given in history is that of Jesus, and we experience every year a moment to remember this idea of the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, while this is our truth. Society and culture has done everything they can to remove Christ from Christmas. And that's not to be a political statement, but just to say it's not happy holidays. It's Merry Christmas. It's, it's centered on Christ. And I think that the church needs to be a little bit more vocal in people hijacking what is ours and allowing it to be just common. It's not common. It's a very holy thing that we reflect on every single year. Now, last week, Pastor David preached on the idea of remembering your song, not forgetting your song. And he preached on the, 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 the song of Mary, the Magnificat, a beautiful portion of scripture. Have you forgotten your song? And as he stated last week, songs help you remember things. Music helps you. I mean, sometimes you, you don't even want to remember stuff that, but because there's music behind it, you remember it. Maybe because there's a little bit of music. If I said to you, the best part of waking up. Now, nobody said, man, I'm going to learn that Folgers song. And it's not because you saw the commercial so many times. It's just because there was a the music behind it that made it stick. And so when God chooses to uh, have a, a way for us to remember and to make the birth of Christ stick, he uses songs. Now, we mean, although we may not know the melody of the song, we can know that each song contains weaponry for us as believers to be able to use them to the glory of God to help shape our lives and to celebrate the work of Christ in our lives. 
we find our second song in Luke chapter 1, verse 67. And I'm reading from the ESV version. And it says this, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. To guide our feet into the way of peace. I believe that every portion of scripture, especially a song like this, it calls for a response from us as believers. It calls for a response. I think the best music has call and response, where the congregation is expected to say something back. If you were in the, the old school church, they were, you know, they were singing blessed in the city. You knew exactly when to come in. You knew exactly. There's some churchy things. If I said to you, God is good. Y'all churchy. And all the time, for all the Hispanics in the room, ¿Quién vive? ¿Y a su nombre? See? There's just a call and response that you know what to do. You are trained. Some of you didn't realize you were church trained. You're cultured. But there's just a response that you have. I think that as we read scripture, there should be a response from our lives. Today, I want to ask you what your response is to the songs of heaven over our lives. If God thought enough to put a song in scripture, it it, it means that we should have a response. Now, this man, Zechariah, that's talking is a man who is a priest in, in Israel, and he's old. Well, we know this. The Bible says it over and over. He was elderly. He was old. I know some of you don't like that word old. It's a tough word. He was extremely seasoned. His wife was extremely seasoned as well, and the scripture says that they had no children. And one day, while homie Zach is in the temple, the Bible says he's doing his priestly duty. These priests only got to go to the holy, holy place like once or twice a year, and this was his turn to do it. And maybe they only did it twice to three times in their entire life. And the time that he's up in there, so is Gabriel the angel. And Gabriel meets him and tells him, hey, by the way, old man, oh, seasoned man. See what I did there, right? Hey, seasoned man, you're going to have a child with your wife, Isaac. Excuse me, Elizabeth, excuse me. Clean that up, right? And you're going to name him John and all this stuff. And, and Zechariah does not believe the prophet, the, 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 the prophecy, the angel. He doesn't believe him. He's like, hey, give me a sign. And the angel's like, I'll give you a sign. You're not going to be able to talk to your son is born. So your sign is silence. It's like, oh, that's not good. 
that he leaves, he's unable to talk, but they know that he's seen an angel, goes home, delivers the news to his wife, probably writing it on a, on a tablet of some sort. And nine months later, here comes John. And now when John is born, the Bible says that Zechariah is baptized in the spirit. And he begins to sing and he begins to prophesy. This is the second song in the book of Luke. And he begins this song by giving God praise because he understands that God is about to start the redemption of his people. He says, you've lifted up a horn of salvation in the house of David, a.k.a. you are doing what you said you would do. And I recognize that you are a covenant-keeping God who keeps his word. Listen to verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Here's what Zach is saying. He's saying, you are a God who keeps your word. And we should find comfort in our hearts that there is a God that we serve who keeps his word. Even if he doesn't keep it to you, he'll keep it to your children. Because when God makes promises, he rarely makes promises to men. He makes them to lineage. He makes them to generations. God rarely ever makes promises to men. He makes them to households. If you think your promises are about you, you're missing it. It's about your household. It's about your lineage. It's about your posterity. It's about everything that comes after you. And Zechariah says, you are doing what you said. You are starting the redemption of Israel, of your people. And he knew this. And he points to the time of Abraham. But it goes back even further to Genesis 3.15 when God promised that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. So we got some Bible readers on this side over here. Praise the Lord. You understand this, right? And so he's pointing out that God is unfolding. This is what Christmas is really about. God is unfolding his masterpiece plan of salvation. Jesus is this long-awaited Messiah or Savior. And here's the first part of the song. Here's what he's saying. God keeps his word. We could take all those verses and encapsulate them. It's that God keeps his word. And the heart. Was God sending Jesus is the big question. Why was God sending him? What does Zechariah think the goal of God is? And what should we do in response? Well, the first question, why, we find the answer in verse 71. Why was God sending this Messiah? Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Two things to understand about this immediately. Number one, number one is that Israel was expecting a, a king who would save them from all their political enemies. They were waiting for a king to save them from the Romans, to set up a millennial empire, a, a never-ending empire, and this king would be on the throne, and all this good stuff. And while Jesus will do that at the end of all things, that's not what Zechariah is prophesying. Remember, the second thing to remember is the Holy Spirit is speaking through Zechariah. This is not, Zechariah is the writer, the Spirit is the author. Zechariah, the writer, the spirit, the author, and he's prophesying and singing this out. And, and, and he's saying this. Here's what he's saying. That there is an enemy that we have here and now. And the goal of this Messiah would be that he would save us from all of our enemies. I, I don't know if you know this newsflash. If you are living your life as if you do not have real demonic enemies, you are living blindly. I want to tell you something today. There are demons and devils that despise you. Y'all don't want to hear that. It's okay. 
like, this is like Halloween, Pastor. That's already gone. We're at Christmas. Yes, but I want to let you know that there are demonic forces that, here's what he says, they hate you. They hate everything about you. They hate that you have the opportunity for eternal life, and they want to give you the same destiny. They have a destiny of damnation because they're sent to, because God never made hell for you and me. The Bible says that God made it for the serpent and his angels, not for us. I wish I had a witness. If somebody should be like, thank you, Jesus. There's a very real enemy that the church faces on a daily basis. The forces of darkness absolutely despise you. Now, I want to stop for just two seconds and let you know, you can't just blame every bad thing on your life on the devil. If you make dumb decisions, all right, we'll leave it there. Praise God. Okay. So I want to let somebody know. Ephesians 6, 12, Paul alludes to this. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. He gives you a number of different layers of demonic activity that you're warring against. You got some, we got some real enemies. We cannot act as if we do not. Are you with me so far? And number two, they absolutely hate you. They hate every part of you. They hate your guts. They hate your calling. They hate your purpose. They hate your giftings. They hate everything about you. But here's why God sent Jesus. Because Jesus is the gift that saves. That's point number one. Real simple. Jesus is the gift that saves. I want to tell you something. That that sounds so elementary until you really begin to dive into the depth of what that carries with it. That he doesn't just save me from my sin, which thank you, Lord, you do. He didn't just save me from eternal damnation, which thank you, Lord, that you do. But in this present life that I live, he saves me from the grip of all of my enemies. And I'm not talking about people who don't like you. I'm not talking about that coworker who you just can't even get, get through to. I'm not talking about that one person that you just, you know they're a witch or a warlock because they just don't do what you think. I'm not talking about that. Because the truth of the matter is this, is that those people are operating in a contrary spirit to God. And Paul says, you're not wrestling in flesh and blood, but there's a principality and a spirit behind their demeanor. Some of y'all operate in those wrong spirits too. That nasty attitude you still got after all these years? Mm. I'm wrestling not against flesh and blood. Lord, help them. We can go on this for days, but there is a spirit in the world contrary to the spirit of God. There is a demonic influence in society and culture, in Hollywood. It's trying to enter every area and sphere of influence. It's all over the place. It's, it's all over the place. That you need to understand the depth of what you're facing. It's, and, and we can't take things at surface level anymore. Every part of society is being infiltrated, and we can't be like lambs to the slaughter on this one. We need to open up our mouth a little bit more and allow for us to say, no, no, that's, I, I see what you're doing, devil, and now begin to cry out and pray in that direction. Now, God, here's the good news. That's all the bad news. The good news is that God has sent us a redemptive plan and gift in Jesus, that he saves me from the, from the, like, the, the grip of these enemies in my life. See, the, the best gifts do something good for your life. The best gifts help you save time. The best gifts help you save energy, 
have a solemn first service. When I was younger, maybe about 10 to 13 years old, Elder Daniel used to make us do sheetrocking with him. And I remember doing a house, uh, his apartment at 80 Dewey Street in, in one of the apartments he owned. And, and we were doing the ceiling and he had me on a scaffold with my cousin and my brother and my two little cousins. And we're sitting there holding this four by eight, you know, three quarter sheetrock on the ceiling. And I'm about to die because I'm smaller than I am now. And I'm just like, Lord Jesus, help me. And he's sitting there. He wasn't smart enough at that point to mark where the studs were. And so he's just shooting screws up. And every time he got one, he'd be like, yeah, I'm going to hurry up. Like, you know. But then one Christmas, my dad got him a sheetrock machine. Where you put that bad boy on there, you just wheel it up, hold it right on the ceiling. You could, it's a one-man job. Man, when he unwrapped that, I felt the angels singing. My, oh, yeah, don't call me no more, uncle. We're good. But a real good gift that saves you time. Maybe somebody's given you a real good gift that you just love, right? Maybe it's just your favorite coffee mug, or maybe it's like a coffee mug that keeps your coffee hot all day. It's just a good gift, right? I, w- I went to my friend's church, and, and he gave me a great gift. I, I, went to, I was at Elevation Church, and every time I go there, they give me these um, extravagant gifts. One time they gave me AirPod Pros. What? I'll take that. Praise the Lord. I went there once, Danny, and they gave me a $500 gift card. I said, Pastor, just go, be, go, 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 go get yourself something nice. I'm like, what? I mean, extravagant gifts, right? They gave me my favorite belt that I own. They said, we have a gift for you. I'm like, okay, what is it? A belt. A belt? All right. It was the, it's the best belt I own. It's the most comfortable belt in the world. Easy to put on, easy to take off. Because good gifts saves you time, saves you energy, helps your life. Jesus is an extravagant gift. More than save me time, more than save me energy. He does all of the above plus some. He saves me from haters in the spirit realm. He saves me from those who would do harm to my spirit, to my soul. He saves us from them. You can't afford to live your life if there's not a real enemy out there. And when I walk with Christ, I live in that saving grace. Jesus is the gift that saves. That's what God's goal was, that we would be saved. But the second question becomes, why would God do this? Why would God do it? And the easy elementary answer, Pastor Jose, is because God loved us. But that's not what Zechariah points to. That's not what Zach says here. Listen to verse 72. This is God's big why as to why he did this. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. God, I want to say it like this. God was contractually obligated to keep his word to Abraham. And so God, in order to keep his word to Abraham, he showed mercy to you and to me. Did you see that? The answer is real simple. It's mercy. God showed us mercy that he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to the prophets of old. Here's point number two, real simple, that Jesus is the Messiah of mercy. It's about the mercy of God. Well, what is mercy? We hear a lot about grace, unmerited favor of God, grace. God give me what I do not deserve. We love grace, but I like mercy. Here's what mercy is. My simple definition, right? Mercy is God not giving me what I do deserve. Grace, I get what I don't deserve. Y'all all like that. Yay. I like mercy, that I don't get what I do deserve. Because if anything, Lewis was a mess. 
Lewis had a lot. He was really good at sinning. And all y'all know, you were too. And I told first service, I'll tell y'all too. If you didn't have fun doing it, you were doing it wrong. And the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season until you reap the, the harvest of that and it's death in your life. But he gives us what we don't deserve, but he also doesn't give us what we do deserve. Well, what do we deserve? We deserve punishment. Yeah. We deserve judgment. We deserve damnation because we were enemies of God. We had evil in us, but because of the gift of Jesus that saves us from our enemies, we are set free from that. Now, he doesn't just save us from our enemies. He saves us from the product the enemy would place in our lives and what they would produce in our lives. Like God saves us from all the impact and effects negatively that would come to our lives of sin and darkness, and he gives us mercy instead. He says, you don't deserve this? I should do this, but I'm not. The other day, one of my kids rolled their eyes at me, and to me, you might as well cuss me out. I think it's one of the most disrespectful things to roll your eyes at somebody. And I, just newsflash here. This, is just, this, this one's just me. This is just Lewis Burgos. I promise you, this is a me thing. I despise the word yup. I think that yup is like a whatever. Last night, I asked my daughter for something. She couldn't find it. It was in the most obvious place, but she didn't want to look. When I found it, I said, come on, it's right here. She said, oh, well. I said, shh. You want to die already? Like, oh well, you want to meet Jesus this quickly? But I had mercy on her. Have you ever had mercy on your kids' parents? Some of you young adults here have been the object of your parents' mercy, where you don't give them what they do deserve, right? My kids out, they weren't the best behaved. Let's say one day they're asking me for ice cream, and I'll get it for them, but I'll tell them, you don't deserve this. I'm giving it to you. That's grace. I should pop you, but I'm not going to give that to you. That's mercy. So there's this idea of mercy within the scripture here, within this song, that we deserve something else, but God gave us this instead. That God did not give us what we deserved. In both the Old Testament and New Testament, mercy is an action taken by the strong towards the weak, the rich towards the poor, the insider towards the outsider. It's something that only those who are in a higher status can give, and God being in the highest throne of all the heavens, he gives to the lowliest person on the earth this majestic mercy for each and every one of us to not endure what we do deserve. He was showing covenant mercy because of his great mercy. Now, Paul, the great theologian and apostle, Ephesians 2, 4, he would say this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Paul doesn't start with love or grace. It has to start with mercy. Because mercy is God waiting for 6,000 years to not judge men and destroy them and sending his son instead. Mercy is God waiting 2,000 years as we spread the message of the gospel across the earth. And although the, he could have taken the early church and had them there, he would have lost out on so many souls that couldn't know the truth. And so in his mercy, God waits. Sometimes the reason why God makes you wait for certain things in your life is because of his mercy. 
because of his mercy. Paul says that God was rich in mercy. This is extravagant mercy. The mercy Paul declares is motivated and predicated by this love that God has. So he's motivated by mercy, and that mercy is built on love. It's motivated by mercy, and this mercy built on love. For the Jewish fathers of old, they saw this mercy as flowing from the garden till now. No wonder this Messiah of mercy, no wonder wise men came to see him. No wonder angels came to sing over his birth. It's no wonder because he was this masterful Messiah of mercy. And Zechariah speaks to this point powerfully while he is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He is telling us that Jesus is a Messiah of mercy. Now, I hope you understand how big of a deal this is. For you and for me, he is a Messiah of mercy. We receive this mercy and salvation instead of what we truly deserved. Let's recap. Jesus is a gift that saves. He saves us from our enemies. He saves us from all the things that are wrong with our life. He saves us from all of the demonic forces that would seek to come against you. And then secondly, he is a Messiah of mercy. He's a gift of mercy. Well, when I look at this, I then say to myself, well, what should my response be for me receiving this gift of mercy? And does God, does God have an expectation of you and me as believers in this? Does God have an expectation of us? In this song, is there anything to reveal that God says, how should I respond to this, right? Well, we find the answer, I believe, in verse 74. Hear what Zechariah says now. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Here's point number three, and I pray that you mark this in your heart, and I pray that you remember this on the good days and the bad days, that we were saved to serve. We were saved to serve. This word served in the original Greek, it means to worship. But man, we were saved to serve him, to serve him one-on-one, to serve him as a community, to serve him as a church, to serve the house of God, to serve the kingdom. We were saved to serve. I want to say this. I didn't tell first service. I should tell him that. You were not saved to sit. You were saved to serve. We were not saved to be comfortable. We were saved to serve. We were not saved to sit there and have a personal journey of faith while everybody around you dies and goes to hell. We were saved to serve a lost and dying world. We were saved to serve a God who would have you save others around you. We were saved to serve. We were not saved to be served. No. We were saved to serve. That's our response. As mechanical as me saying, God is good. As mechanical as that all the time response is, is as mechanical as our servitude to God should be. That in light, in view, 
because of the mercy he has given us, because of this great mercy and this gift that saves us. Man, I pray that you catch this, that you are saved to serve. I didn't tell first service this. <laughs> Yo, when I was younger, believe it or not, I had a big mouth. I know it's hard to believe. I know. I know. Pastor Jose, I know you would never think that I had a big mouth. Used to run my mouth all the time. And I wasn't afraid of getting into a fight. Didn't care. Honestly, did not care. I was little, and I did not care. But do you know why? Because all my friends were six foot plus. I was the oldest. They were a little bit younger than me. I had a job. They didn't. So I was the one, you know, doing all the stuff we were doing that was bad. I was funding it all. And so somebody said something to me. I didn't even have to fight. They were going to handle it for me. And trust me, they would handle it. Some of y'all know my old friends. Okay, Andy, be quiet. (laughs) They were going to handle it and very violently. But here's the thing. They saved me from all my enemies. (laughs) So when it came time to go out to eat, oh, I got you. I'll serve you all day. Here you go, bro. Save my face. You can mess up yours. How much more God who saves me from spiritual enemies? How much more him who saves us from damnation? And then he gives me three ways to save him, three ways that I should serve him, rather. Three ways that I should serve him. The first one is without fear. Here's what he's saying. I want you to serve me free of fear. What does he mean by that? That I don't have to be afraid of paying a price for sins that I've committed because Jesus has paid that price for me. And it doesn't mean that I go and keep on sinning. Because the price is paid, it means that I live in awe that you paid that price. Imagine if you were to find yourself with an extra amount of tons of, of, of just resources and finances, and you, went, and you went to your relatives and you paid off all their debt, and within three months they just sat there and accrued nothing but more debt. Most of us would look at that and be like, whoa, what are you doing? I just bailed you out. Why would you go back into debt? Well, I just, that's like many of us in sin. He bails us out, but we get right back in. He's not saving us to go ahead and keep on sinning. Paul would say, don't use your newfound liberty to do wickedness, but walk with God. We don't have to be afraid of standing before the throne and God saying, you did this wrong. While we will give an account to God for our actions, there is no fear in the heart of the believer for damnation because the price has been paid. So is why John, who was so close to Jesus in his first epistle, he writes this. He says, he says to each and every one of us, perfect love. See the mechanical response there? Yeah, your servitude should be just like that. Man, if we can, if we can, if we can get that right, that we know what to do in every season. Secondly, he says, I don't want you to, to sit there being in fear because I've delivered you from your enemies. Man, this word delivered, I love it. I looked at the, the original Greek meaning, and it means this. He dragged us out. It's not like you grabbed hands with him and walked out, you know, me and Jesus. It's not like, oh, look, Jesus saves. It was like he's like this, this, this dude. 
He had to smack you up, drag you by your hair, out of sin, throw you at the altar, and hope you catch the point. And then when you did, oh, thank you, Jesus. In the moment, you're like, God, why are you beating me up? But at the end of you, you're like, oh, thank you, God. Somebody, many of us are from the inner city. We've seen some folks get dragged. And some of you just flashed to that point right now. We've seen folks get dragged. But man, he dragged you out of sin so that you can live and serve him fear free. That's good. Secondly, he says, serve me in holiness. Meaning living a life that is not mixed with the things of the world, but serve me living set apart. Free from fear and holy. Set apart. Not giving in to every temptation that comes your way. Fear free and set apart. One of my guilty pleasures is I, I love Gordon Ramsay. And I like watching his crazy shows of like competitions of cooking. And he has this one show called Hell's Kitchen where he has all these people competing to like work in one of his restaurants. And at the end of every service, and I don't mean church service, I mean like dinner service, he has them come to the front. You know, but them, you know the deal. They, they pick the lowest two people in the, in the team and he stands before them and he gives an edict, a judgment, and one of them's going to stay and one of them's going to go. And what he does often is if he has two in front of him, he'll call one of them and be like, come here, Rick. And they'll walk forward, start taking off their jacket as if the time is up. And he says, back in line. And they start weeping and crying. And now in that moment, they're fear free. And it's just relief. And all they can probably think about is how they can do better the next service and be a better chef. You know, God calls us from that line of judgment. And he tells us, get back. And we can live fear free and holy apart from the things of the world. Some of us need to understand this so deeply in our lives. There is such a mixture of demonic in your life with deliverance. And at some point, you got to choose, am I going to walk with Jesus or am I going to be in the world? Am I going to entertain foolishness in my house? Am I going to allow these things to keep on going? Or am I going to act like my parents at some point and realize they didn't have everything wrong? And they had some good points because I am sitting here and the world is getting worse and more wicked. The Bible says it's only going to get darker, which means your light can only shine brighter. Are you going to live holy before God, not intertwined with the sins of the world? And then he says, lastly, to live in righteousness. This is good, righteousness. Pastor Jose, if I told you that I had purchased for you an all-inclusive paid vacation in the Dominican Republic at a resort, and all you had to do was pack a bag and go to the airport, would you go? Absolutely. Absolutely, right? And you would enjoy every last thing that I had prepared for you. That is so much akin to how God has prepared for us righteousness. Righteousness is not something that I can achieve. It's something that I can only receive. And then my job at that point is to live in accordance of what I have received. That every step that I take is in tune with the righteousness he has already provided. And some of you might be like, well, you mean I can't, I can't, I can't, you know, achieve righteousness. If you could achieve righteousness, you don't need Jesus. But because of his sacrifice, because of the cross, because of the death of Christ, I'm able to be righteous. And what does being righteous mean? If you're new in church, that might be a big word for you. Here's what it means, right? It means to be at right standing with God. It means to have no blockages between you and God. It means that you and God have nothing. In, there's no beef anymore. Just do 2022 version. 
there is no beef between you and God. There's no issue. There's no walls of division. There's only love and acceptance. Because I'm fear-free, living holy, walking in the righteousness he provides me. But then, Zechariah gives us one more gut punch. Jen, just one more gut punch. You know what he says? All our days. There are no days off. Daisy, no days off. No days off when you're walking with God. What are you saying, Pastor? You can't get mad at somebody and decide tomorrow you're going to get lit because you're upset. I wish I had a witness there. You, you can't be upset and cuss somebody out because you're just mad. There's no time off in your walk with God. You have to walk this thing out every single day. You can't go through a trial in life and fall apart just because. And then think that you have a reason and God's just going to be like, it's okay. I know you're going through some stuff, Pastor Mary. No, 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 no. That you mature up and that you live out what you hear and preach and teach other people and talk about God, what you sing about in your songs and what you like to post all over social media with your pocket promises of the day, but you don't live it out. You have to live it out every single day. God expects it. Pastor, what's our response to serve him fear-free, hinged on holiness, right? Deepened in righteousness, but then lastly, every single day of our life that we live this faith. There are no days off because I was saved to serve this great God of mine. Man, my hope and my prayer is that this Christmas, that as we go over each song, is that you recognize that you have a response to God. That this Christmas you wouldn't just get lost in the giving of gifts, but that you remember the receiving of gifts. That this holiday season, that you would deeply remember the plan of God for your life. That you would deeply remember the great lengths that God went to to bring peace to you. That by his mercy, you're able to serve him. Come on, would you stand with me this early afternoon? I don't know about you, but I can stand here before you and tell you that he is so merciful. He is so faithful in every season of our lives. Not just in my words, but in my heart to have that sewed in. I don't know about you, but every single one of us, we have received this great gift. And or we have access to this great gift. Let's bow our heads all across the sanctuary. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just invite you, Lord, to speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts right now. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, as we just stand in this moment of the Lord speaking to every one of us. I want to encourage you. God's always talking. The question is if we're listening. Now, is there anybody under the sound of my voice, and I don't want to assume that you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. If there's anyone here today who does not know the Lord, I want to ask you, do you want to receive him today? And if that's you, do you want to be a recipient of that mercy? And do you want that gift that saves you from all your enemies, bring salvation to your life? If that's you, would you do me a favor? Would you lift your hand as high as you can so that we can pray with you? Thank you. Just lift your hand up. Come on, lift your hand up. That's you. 
Thank you, Lord. So grateful, God, that you still speak to us. So grateful, God, that you still work. Maybe you're here today and you don't know that you're truly right now walking with the Lord. You're unsure of your salvation. You've been in church maybe, but you know that you've been doing some mess, some foolishness. I want to pray for you today. If that's you, no shame in your life, lifting your hand as high as you can. Thank you. No shame. If you're online, there are people waiting to pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. Come on, there are a number of hands up. I want to just pray with those individuals right here and right now. Would you pray this prayer with me, church? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I need your son Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. And so I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart, he is Lord. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, that I can live with you all the days of my life. You saved me from all of my enemies so that I could live fear-free for you. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, would you celebrate right now? Come on, there was two hands up. Come on, would you celebrate right now?